Hey, I'm here with Dave again, and uh, we're going to discuss, we wanted to broaden out the discussion of mental health and spirituality, and talk about the relationship between brain, mind, spirit, you know, the, the what feeds into that. Say, uh, what would be some issues here, Dave? Well, I think the, the way that the mind, body, uh, and spirit uh, applies to health in general. And genetics? That would include the history of genetics, um, you know, what, what we do with it societally, how it, how we, how it impacts us, how we view ourselves um, um, spiritually and within the culture and society we live in. How the society views? Views us. So the, I've done a, peer, a series, or I did at least a podcast in the past, talking about uh, Michael Foucault, uh, who does a history of the clinic, you know, that clearly there is a couple of interesting things with Foucault is that, well, different cultures have different, first of all, they have uh, different notions of what mental disease might be, and I think it actually presents itself with different diseases. There is historically the displacement of the leper colony with the mental health in, or the mental institutions. So clearly society plays into this in, the, in some way in talking about spirituality or the church. Um, I don't think it's so much to say that what Foucault is describing falsifies or in some way makes this entirely a construct, but it is to say that um, our interaction with other people, our sociocultural definitions, are in fact partly determinative of the people in those situations. Absolutely. We, we can look back in history and find that during certain times, um, you know, different um, personal traits or personal characteristics were more acceptable than others. I mean, if you were talking about the Dark Ages, being a violent person uh, might have served you real well. That it was expected that uh, you're going to, yeah, that in some way you're going to respond. And maybe in terms of religiosity, you know, this is Anselm's doctrine of divine satisfaction arises in a culture in which revenge or honor, you know, maintaining your honor, and and think of, you know, the development of Calvin's penal substitution, uh, that there comes, there de- evolves a very dark picture of God that, uh, you know, the has a direct impact. Uh, there was a study in the uh, Journal of Religion and Health uh, in 2010 on the impact of the picture of God as punitive makes people sick. Uh, that is, that there's a, a, a perceptual increase or a d- definitive increase in uh, that if you view God as punitive, uh, that it is going to have a, an impact on your mental health. Right. And, and the point would be not to figure out what a good or healthy uh, societally acceptable view about religion or God is supposed to be for the current times. It's just the opposite. It's to figure out what is the correct spiritual religious application of God's true nature for us, in us, and how we can 
react and respond to the world uh, um, in a in a the proper way, a way that is healthy, but also societally and culturally acceptable. And in those societies and cultures that we are then not accepted because of that right behavior, we need to influence those cultures and societies to help them understand the ethical point that we're coming from. So uh, uh, what, from a spiritual or Christian perspective, uh, you know, may, may be termed unethical in some cultures would be acceptable. Certainly. So, for example, we we talk about, you know, the uh, individual's right to so many things, free speech, the right to um, uh, determine their their own destiny, all of these things. And we are um, urgently trying to find a solution to those situations where people are being killed or mistreated or not taken care of. And yet the ethical question of abortion has completely been forgotten in the topic of, the, of our culture today. We, we want to talk about homelessness and how many children die every day of starvation, even in a, a country like the United States, yet we don't compare that to the number of children that are being aborted every day. So that in, in some way, in the area of mental health, and this is, I think, uh, we, we could have the extremes. I know that Jay Adams, historically, um, maybe have taken this too far, uh, that he, his, uh, he re- totally repudiates mainstream psychology, uh, mainstream psychotherapy, and has developed a, what he calls a biblical counseling model. Uh, which, to, to my mind, is ironically to make the mistake of uh, he's feeding in a particular, which I would say is a mistaken theological perspective, and imagining that that applies directly to mental health. Well, I think if you state that he's taken it too far, it would imply that he at some point took it far enough, and I would disagree with that. I think the opposite is true. What he is trying to do is taking a right thing and using it completely in the wrong way. Um, We can talk about the the uh, true application of biblical principles to any condition in life and how that's supposed to work. But what you'll never be able to say is that that truth will change the condition of the individual. For example, I'm not very tall, and no matter how much biblical truth you apply to that matter, I'm not going to be any shorter or taller based on all of that truth. In that same way, if someone has a mental condition in which there is a need that can be applied to it that will make a difference, make it better, the thing that will not change that is any biblical principle. It may change the experience of the individual, and that is the whole point, that God really does make a difference in the experience of suffering and pain. 
but it's not going to change that pain and or the suffering. And maybe then the question is uh, the, the idea of physiology and spirituality, and of course, uh, in in talking about mental health, that sometimes we may just be talking about a physiological problem, right? That people have physical problems that need some sort of physiological, physical resolution. Yeah, I think for me, when I apply physiological um, definition to an experience where there is both a mental condition as well as a physical experience that goes along with it, there are things that I can do about the physical. I can choose to do about the physical. There's little or nothing that I can do that will affect the psychological part. They're intermeshed, and I completely understand that. I also understand that if I do something with the physical, it will affect the psychological to some degree, most, kind, most times not very much, but it does have an effect. What, what's not true is that I, I'm, I'm able to make that choice on the psychological side completely and alone all by itself. The uh, Jay Adams notion is, well, the reason you have mental problems is because you're, you're sinful and you just need to read these Bible passages. I'm sure I'm being overly simplistic. I think that is exactly what it says. <laughs> apply these biblical truths yeah. to your illness, and your sickness will go away. And so that would be, uh, and maybe that's what you get in a lot of Christian counseling. I, uh, you've studied uh, Christian counseling, but that would seem to be an extreme and I suppose the other extreme would be to completely separate and say that uh, that human beings have, you know, to deny the spiritual or to deny that the spiritual in any way interacts. And so the the question I don't suppose is to answer this, but at least to say, well, there is there an interaction, and in Scripture, then there is clearly a precedent for, uh, you know, part of what is described in a place like Romans 7 is that there is an agonistic struggle taking place that certainly is spiritual, but uh, Paul doesn't make those distinctions. He's just saying that this body of death is kind of an all-consuming problem that he faces and that it's going to be resolved uh, you know, that's the, the picture in chapter 8. So uh, we don't want to say there is not then this interaction between the spiritual and uh, the, the mental. Yeah, because, I mean, the question is, can enough spiritual discontent, sin, um, cause mental issues? And I think that we can look at, you know, biblical examples and real life examples that show that, yeah, I mean, if, if you if you stay in a state of agony for long enough, it's it's going to affect you physically and psychologically. What's not true is the inverse. It, it's not true that 
um, you know, the, the psychological condition is, is uh, the result of spiritual sin. Uh, or is it always? Is that always the case? I, no, absolutely not. I don't. I don't think that it's always the case. But you can't say it definitively, right? Isn't that, isn't that what we're trying to say? The yeah, you can't say oh because somebody has mental problems that they're they're they got spiritual problems. But neither, in other words, I think that there are diseases that are diagnosable as uh, oh well, you have a chemical imbalance, you have too much. Uh, you know, particular uh, metallic substances, and you know that 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 are, there are diagnosable physiological conditions. Right. Um, on the other hand, that uh, in Scripture, and this is you know my own work, uh, the 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 title of my book is the psychotheology of sin and salvation. And so, what my point is, yes, the psychological and the theological. Uh, are uh, interacting um, in a kind of holistic fashion uh, in that there is, you know, and, and I'm tying this directly into Freudian, and I think foundational principles in Freudian psychology. Freud, you know, if you ask Freud, uh, what is the human disease? What is the human sickness? He's, he ties it into what he calls the death drive. The death drive is, he relates it to either masochism, the, you know, the tendency to find pleasure in pain for the self, or sadism, that you enjoy hurting other people. Originally, he thought sadism was the original condition. And when he discovers what he calls the death drive, and with the death drive, he posits this tripartite superego ego uh, id structure, uh, he comes to the conclusion that sadism, in fact, is secondary to masochism. That the desire to, in some way, uh, hurt the self and to return to death is the underlying human condition. And so he begins to tie neurosis and the various manifestations, neurotic manifestations, into this primary problem. And so like the compulsion to repeat. That's a, a bit of a mystery. I don't know that anybody, you know, why, why does, and I think you can almost describe that as a universal, <clears throat> that it manifests itself in various neuroses, you know, whether it's to repeat a thought, repeat, an, you know, a, some sort of form of drug addiction, alcohol addiction, uh, repeat bad behavior. You know what? It, it's a huge category that you could almost say human mental sickness, and I'm uh, um, and I'm having going to have you correct me here, is connected to the compulsion to repeat. Well, um, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I guess it. it it is somewhat um, a variety of things, but it could be it could be just about anything. <laughs> so, um, and I think even even Freud would recognize, you know, that um, 
there, there, and he's a medical doctor, and he's right. So, well, the question is, okay, let's let's say that the compulsion to repeat there is there. Is that in scripture? Well, certainly, the dog returns to its vomit, the pig returns to its wallow. That there is this picture then of particular compulsions, not called compulsions in scripture, but almost. You know, that Paul is going to describe sin as so animating his life, he says that it's no longer I that do it, but sin within me. And so he's describing a situation in which uh, the self is pitted against the self. I do what I do not want to do, what I want to do, I do not do. That he, the, the agency, human agency relinquishes itself uh, gives itself over to these powers, this power of sin. So I don't think Paul is saying that he's no longer guilty. No, he, he's saying that in some way he's relinqu- relinquished human agency. And this is definitive then of his picture of sin. And so that does sound a lot like various mental problems. I mean, yeah. yeah, so I mean, you're you're saying you can't really separate those two things that that they they look and and perhaps are very much the same. That the compulsive uh, behavior, uncontrollable, looks a lot like knowing right and doing wrong, knowing what's wrong but doing it anyway. Right. Um, yeah. That's the point. And and, uh, and again, we begin this with the qualifier. We don't want to be simplistic and say, oh, people that are mentally... You know, that's the whole point of, uh, of sections of Scripture. That's the point of the book of Job. It's not a simple theodicy on the part of the friends of Job that say, you know, oh, you've sinned, Job. This is why you're being punished. Jesus, you know, is request, you know, oh, did that tire the... the, 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 the uh, the the tower rather in Siloam it fell on the seventy were they peculiarly sinful uh, the man born blind was it because and of course the answer is again and again no it's not because of this individual sin uh, that these things happened uh, that that is that is precisely not what the Bible is saying on the other hand isn't Scripture describing a situation in which human fallenness has impacted everyone universally, and the, the way that Paul pictures it, and actually Paul's very, you know, Freud and Paul, this is the picture of Jacques Lacan and Slavoj Zizek, they find in Paul precisely what they are saying about the human sickness, the human disease. And that is that there is an orientation to the law, and law here could be any number of things. It could be language, it could be authority, it could be, you know, the father, it could be uh, that in some way that we are uh, misoriented to the law, imagining that there is life in the law. So the compulsion to repeat is the attempt to, in some way, gain life where there is only death. That the human sin, that certainly must result in what looks like, and perhaps is, uh, various forms of mental illness. Uh, And again, I'm I'm wanting to qualify that. I'm not trying to make some simplistic, uh, you know, 
correlation between the two, but nonetheless, I think we have to recognize there is this correlation. Yeah, and it, and it leads us right into the perfect question is then, what is the mature, caring, loving response to someone in that condition? What does a, what does a healthy Christian view of someone in mental pain look like, um, and and how do we how do we how do we apply uh, care and love to them? But more importantly, how do we help uh, those individuals and um, provide a greater um, you know service uh, mental health system uh, support systems to people um, in need like that. And I think the very first thing, as you indicated there, is to understand that it is an individual uh, issue. Um, it, it doesn't cover everybody. Uh, just because we're sinning or someone sins in a way doesn't mean that they're, they're mentally ill and vice versa. Um, but specifically that um, in those situations where a substance can be used to alleviate the mental issues that are taking place, that we could prescribe something appropriate for that uh, individual at that level so that that physiological issue can be moved out of the way so that the spiritual issues can be addressed, so that the individual can get back to a place where they're functioning, functioning mentally and psychologically, responsibly, and be able to respond to God in that way, not under, mm-hmm. you know, the, the under the uh, influence of drugs prescribed at an inappropriate level, or under the condition of uh, um, a mental, you know, disposition uh, that is not. Healthy. And so the the discussion is, you know, maybe before, before we describe what is the ideal situation in terms of spiritual or church, or what we have to recognize is that there may be an aggravation of the problem that religion and church and people, as we often have them, may be pe- aggravating the problem that religion can make you sick, that particular groups of people are sick that there are institutions that are riddled with disease and sickness and, gen- and just as a, a, a product of that sickness continually throw up broken and hurt people. And so I think the, the thing to recognize is, oh, well, this just to, to have some vague religious notion is not the idea here because, in fact, that may be part of the problem is that the this, this sickness that people experience is aggravated, uh, you know, to put it simplistically, by bad theology, but also by people who have bought into that theology and have become ugly, bad people. Uh, that just because someone is pious or uses pious language. So maybe we need to address that, say, okay, well, there's that. And then we need to, to talk about, yeah, but what would be the alternative to institutions, churches, you know, uh, groups. I, and I think the picture is of a supportive, caring community uh, that is grounded then 
in a recognition that healing is to be had in Christ. That Christ is the great physician. And yes, this is an individual predicament, but the individual predicament is one in which we are always cured in and through community. That is, the body of Christ, when it's functioning healthily, or in, in good health, healthily, I suppose, is, not, uh, is that, uh, that there is a cure in the love of Christ to be found in a community of people grounded in the love of Christ. I think that, that uh, we can, in, in future discussions and future podcasts, can put some flesh on that and begin to describe that theologically, in terms of discipline, discipleship, practice, uh, in, in terms of just how this interacts then. And so I think there is, this, uh, there, there is uh, an aggravation of the problem. Yeah, and I think specifically what we, we need to say, you, you, you said it, and that is, is that healing is to be had in Christ which is to say that it is within the fellowship of Christ, both the fellowship that we have one-on-one individually, as well as the fellowship that we have in and through each other, the loving of one another. Um, In that relationship, when we tear down the boundaries that separate us by our definitions in this world, whether it be social, economic, mental, whatever it may be, racial, cultural. Uh, when, we, when we tear down those separations, what we find ourselves is living with one another as human beings, accepting one another and experiencing a love that probably very few of us truly ever receive or have the opportunity to give. And so if we define the human disease as alienation, it's always alienation, and maybe disease is the wrong word, but we're overlapping here, that it's alienation from God, alienation from other people, alienation within ourselves, we're we're self-alienated, alienation with, uh, you know, creation itself. And the only solution to that is someone else. That's it. Another being. That that has to be intervened in. We have that in Christ. That's the intervention. Uh, but that is to be the intervention of the church. That is to be, you know, what a, a, a healthy theology does is to address the lived reality of the problem as we face it, and to recognize that in Christ there is an imminent cure, uh, and in the the body of believers. There is a, a you know a, a, a feeding of that cure uh, that there is health to be had. So to summarize, we would say that whatever the condition may be, a spiritual or mental, physiological condition, that there are a variety of situations that may cause those things, but that there is also a appropriate application to some substances that may help it but ultimately the solution the true healing that takes place once we've resolved a physical mental 
chemical issue imbalance that may take place. Once that's resolved, true solution, true healing that takes place is the healing that is one-on-one centered on God. I think that's a great solution. Thanks, Dave.